This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'll continue with part three of my talk on the prophetic gift. In part one, I talked about the prophetic gift in the Old Testament. Last time, I spoke about the prophetic gift as we see it in the New Testament. And today, I'll talk about the prophetic gift in some practical ways, how it's exercised and what it looks like today. And before I get to that, I'd like to remind you again, if you have any questions or any comments, anything you'd like to share with me, communicate to me, you can reach me by writing to ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. And if you'd like to know more about our life and our work, you can visit www.cantrell.cc. And also, I direct a ministry that has projects and partners all over Eastern Europe. And you can learn more about that work at uh, stoneworks.ngo. Now, before I talk about the practical aspects of this prophetic gift, I'd like to touch on something I mentioned last time very briefly. And this is the idea that spiritual gifts, including the gift of prophecy, ended shortly after the New Testament was written, and that these spiritual gifts were only there to prove that the apostles were bringing the truth from God in the gospel message. And these prophetic gifts, or spiritual gifts, all of the spiritual gifts, were only for that generation. And the argument has been that those gifts ceased when the last person who had known the apostles personally passed away. And it really isn't my purpose today to make a counter-argument to that understanding, though by sharing what I'm sharing, obviously you see that I don't agree with that perspective. That seems to be actually a fairly modern perspective in many ways. Back in 1918, a book was published called Counterfeit Miracles, and I think that book probably brought it into the main line understanding in churches. However, the church fathers, all the way up to 300 AD, fairly often wrote about the ministry of prophecy and other supernatural gifts in their churches. And these early Christian fathers saw that and understood that supernatural gifts were a sign of God's presence with his people and that these gifts would continue all the way until the Lord comes, and at that point we see perfection. And so there really was not a conflict between this gift of prophecy and these other spiritual gifts and the completed scripture. And of course that is the perspective I take. I mentioned earlier that I was being obedient to what I saw in scripture when the Apostle Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. When I was living in America, I was eagerly desiring that gift, and I saw glimpses of it. As I mentioned, one of the elders laying hands on me to ordain me to go to Russia and also seeing a vision, a prophetic vision, and giving me the understanding of what that vision meant. Yet I wasn't really walking in it very much. And only when I got over to Russia did I really see the power of the different gifts and the goodness of these gifts, how helpful they are. And my church in Russia was very open to 
allowing anyone to walk in whatever gift God gave them. And I keep saying this, but before I get into the practical aspects, I do want to go back and do a little bit of a review. And if you haven't listened to the first two parts of this talk, please go back. I encourage you to listen. I'll go much more deeply into what I'm about to mention just now. The first thing that I want us to understand is that God is a father that loves to give good gifts, spiritual gifts, and these are gifts that help others. These gifts must be used in a way that helps other people and that they are expressed in love. And he gives gifts to people who are not yet spiritually mature. So we don't need to think that we have to be better or more grown up in order to receive whatever gift he wants us to have. No, I believe that as we receive his gifts and use them well, then that leads us deeper into maturity. I talked about what prophecy is not, and often people will say, oh, he's prophetic, when they're talking about someone who can speak well, who can preach well, who can tell predictions of the future, or people who are skilled in social and political analysis. I'm not talking about somebody who can speak with authority, even though they don't have authority. We know people that can speak strongly and with conviction, but say things that aren't true. But that's not the prophetic gift. The prophetic gift is allowing God to use our own voice to get a message from God and share it with others because he is a God of love and he wants us to love others and he wants to encourage people and build them up. And the Old Testament is a prophetic book from the very beginning to the very end. And into the New Testament, we saw that that prophetic gift continues in the church with one main distinction, which is the New Covenant, that great dividing line, this new covenant that says God will give his spirit to his people. And in the New Testament, that prophetic gift is exercised in the church under the control of the prophets and subject to the judgment of the members of the church. So it's very different, very different way of thinking about this prophetic gift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So now we come to some practical questions. And the questions are really what is necessary to walk in this prophetic gift? Is it trained? Can you develop it? How is it exercised? And I do want to say that I am very cautious about any book, any Christian publication that has a title that says something like Seven Steps to Spiritual Health or anything like that, because it can reduce Christianity to being like a recipe. In a recipe, you get the parts that you need and you mix them all up. And if you follow the directions, you get the result that you expect. But the Christian walk is not a recipe. It's not a series of ingredients that we mix together and come up with the result that we desire. The Christian walk is one of a relationship, an abiding relationship, allowing the life of God to flow through us and allowing him to use us however he wants us to be used. So when I talk about things like how is this gift of prophecy trained or developed or exercised, it's all within the context of abiding in the Lord loving God more than the gift, loving God more than the people we serve, loving God more than ourselves. And that's the most important thing is love, the love of God, the love of others. But still, 
what is necessary to walk in the gift of prophecy. And we see some things in the scriptures. I don't want to depend exclusively on my experience because my experience can be very different. It certainly is very different from many others. But scripturally, what do we see about this prophetic gift? And the first thing that I want to mention is we are commanded, actually, to desire spiritual gifts. We are called to desire the gift. This is on the positive side. The prophetic ministry is a gift of the Spirit. As I've said many times, we don't earn it. There is nothing that you or I can do to earn one of these spiritual gifts. It's a gift. It's given freely, offered freely. And if you or I are not open to the gifts of the Spirit, then we're not going to receive any of those gifts. If we're not open to the gift of prophecy, then we won't receive that gift of prophecy. We have to desire it, have an open heart. I mentioned last time offering candy. As I'm speaking, putting a chocolate bar up and saying, this chocolate bar is for whoever would come and take it. And then I continue teaching, and at some point, people's desire for that chocolate bar overcomes their hesitancy to run up in front of everybody and interrupt me while I'm talking. They really want that chocolate bar, and I've offered it to them. And spiritual gifts are that way. We have to eagerly desire them. We have to really want them. So that's the first thing, to eagerly desire this gift. And we have to remember that God gives gifts without showing favoritism. And he offers these gifts to all people, all of his people. He pours out his spirit on everyone. He gives the gift of prophecy to those who may have no confidence in public speaking. He may give this gift of prophecy to people who are shy or quiet. And he gives this gift in order to bless other people. So this is the first thing on the positive side, to desire the gift. And that is stated explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Can't make it much more clear than that, can we? We are to eagerly desire it and walk in the way of love. The second thing on the positive side, what's necessary to walk in this gift, is mentioned in Romans chapter 12 when Paul makes a list of other spiritual gifts, and he mentions the gift of prophecy. And he says, if your gift is prophecy, then exercise it in proportion to your faith. Isn't that interesting? The measure of faith that we have will influence, have an effect on how we exercise the gift of prophecy. Well, what kind of faith is needed to speak prophetically? Well, first of all, there's the faith that God still speaks to people, to believe that God still wants to say something today, that he intends to communicate, he wants to communicate with us, not only through the scriptures, but through the words of other humans who speak to us words that encourage us or comfort us or build us up. There's another step of this faith that we need to exercise this gift of prophecy, and we need to believe that he can use us to speak for him. Can your mouth utter the thoughts of God? It takes faith to exercise that gift of prophecy. Not faith in ourselves, faith in God. 
that he speaks, that he wants to speak, and he still does today, and that he can use you to do that. The third thing on the positive side, as we talk about what is necessary to walk in this gift of prophecy, is to be soaked in the Holy Spirit. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual gift, and this gift of prophecy must come from the Spirit and not from any other source. The reason I said to be soaked in the Spirit, I could also say to be drenched in the Spirit, comes from the word baptize. The word baptize is one of those words in our Bible that is not translated, it's transliterated. The Greek verb, baptizo, I think is how it's pronounced, is just transliterated into baptize in English, but it's not translated. That Greek word means to be submersed, or soaked, or drenched, or dunked. (laughs) In America, we have a company called Dunkin' Donuts, and that means to dunk your donut in coffee or your drink, to submerge it, to dip it in there. And so if you were going to translate John the Baptist, you could really say John the Dunker, John the Submerser, John the Drencher. Because that's what it means. In Greek, if you were to dip your donut or a pastry into some tea or coffee, you would be baptizing that pastry. It just means to be submersed or dropped in or soaked or drenched. In Mark chapter 1, verse 7, John the Baptist said, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with Holy Spirit. Say that another way. I submerse you in water, but he will submerse you in the Holy Spirit. It is the ministry of Jesus to soak people in the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. And these gifts, in particular, the gift of prophecy, must be a gift of the Spirit, and we must be soaked in the Spirit, submerged in the Spirit, surrounded by and filled with the Spirit. We're all imperfect. We're not going to be there 100% of the time. The Lord knows that, but he still gives those gifts. The fourth thing on the positive side of what is necessary to walk in the gift of prophecy is to develop the art of listening to God. Someone who has a prophetic gift is someone who listens to God, and then hears directly from him. People who have a prophetic gift shouldn't get the word horizontally from another human being, from another direction. It needs to come from the Lord, not from someone else. So someone with a prophetic gift must have spiritual discernment and a knowledge of what God's voice sounds like, how he speaks, and then listen to God alone. Well, how do we learn to listen? Well, it's important to have a conversation, ask God questions, and then expect an answer. Listen for his voice. Jesus promised, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And I've said many times that in the Greek, those verbs are in the present continuous tense, which means go on asking, continue seeking, keep on knocking. And he will provide for us. He will answer us. 
trust him to be able to speak unmistakably. God can speak clearly. He knows our weaknesses. He knows your inability to hear him. He can break through all that. If you are a born-again believer, then you have the indwelling spirit. Jesus promises that he will never leave you as an orphan. He will be with you always, all the way to the end of the age. So we can trust him to communicate clearly. Now, sometimes people talk of unanswered prayer. And usually people mean a prayer that doesn't have a result. An unanswered prayer is actually a prayer that gets no reply. A reply is when God says something, and a result is when God does something. And pretty often, I've certainly fallen into this trap, and a lot of people do, might say, I prayed for something and God didn't do anything. Well, that's looking for a result. That's not a conversation. Well, remember what Paul prayed pretty earnestly three times. He said, Lord, take this thorn out of my flesh. Save me from this difficult situation. And God replied to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That is an answered prayer. (laughs) Paul got a reply. He did not get the result that he was hoping for, but he got a reply. David Pawson said something really good about this. And again, much of what I'm sharing with you is coming from David Pawson, this British Bible teacher. And he said, if you really want to hear a reply to a prayer, pray this prayer. Lord, is there anything in me that is not pleasing to you? (laughs) That's a good prayer. And you'll get a reply. You'll have a conversation then. The fifth thing I want to mention on the positive side of this prophetic gift is to learn how to deliver the message. It's just as important to ask when, where, and how that message is to be delivered. Remember Paul said that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. God gives us, in our spirit, the ability to be in control of these prophetic words. A related scripture mentions speaking the truth in love. It's a little bit off topic, but I do want to mention it here because it's quite possible to say something that is true, but not say it in love, and that can be damaging. And it happens very often in this culture when somebody says something that is not true, but they say it in a loving way. And then a person listening to that word would understand that it's said in love, and they may accept it because it's said in a nice way. It's said in a loving way. But if it's not true, then it's just as damaging. And when we deliver prophetic messages to people, we have to be very, very careful that we say them at the right time, when, where, how that message is to be delivered, to learn that and to consider that as we pray about how and when the Lord wants us to share something. So if you're just starting in the ministry of the prophetic gift, then it probably would be good to start that among loving Christians. And after you learn how to express it within the church, then it can be used outside of the church. Of course, in the church, every prophecy is to be weighed and judged by everyone. So if you have a home group, that can be a safe place to share what's on your heart and then let your friends help you discern. That means making room in meetings for this sort of activity. And that reminds me of when I first went to Russia and started attending a church. Our church 
was primarily built by conversion, and many of the members of the church were ex-drug addicts, ex-prostitutes, ex-mafia guys, people who had really, really been radically saved and knew that they had received the Spirit and had been set free and born again, given a whole new life. And in our church services, there was a time after the singing where it was sort of like an open mic, and anyone could walk up and bring a prophetic word they felt like the Lord had for them. Sometimes that was a prophetic word that was generally for the church without a specific person being mentioned. Sometimes it was for very specific people. And when they would share those words, then we would judge them. And oh, so often they were so encouraging and right on the money because the Lord really is speaking to his people and wants to build us up by those kinds of words. So it's good to make room in our meetings for this, and it's good to make room in our lives. I'll give a few examples. Pretty often when I'm writing emails, I'll sense the Spirit calling me to pray and consider what he might have for the person to whom I'm writing. So I'll stop, say a prayer, see if the Lord has a scripture or some encouraging word that I might share with whoever I'm writing to. That's a good way to do it, just in the middle of your everyday activities. When you're speaking to someone on the phone, you could stop in your spirit and pray and say, Lord, do you have anything for this person, anything uh, that would encourage them or build them up? Certainly in counseling sessions, when you're sitting down with somebody and helping to talk through or at least listening to people who are in very difficult circumstances, a word from the Lord, a spiritual word that breaks through can really be a blessing and a great help. I'll give some examples, and again, like I said last time, the reason I give examples is not to build myself up in your eyes. It's to let you know how this gift works in life, in real life. I was at a restaurant one time with my wife, and uh, the waitress came up, and I felt like God had a word for the waitress. I'd never met her. And so towards the end of the meal when she came up, I said, Are you a Christian? And she sort of surprisingly said, well, yes, I am. And I said, well, I think I've got a word for you. And the reason I asked her if she's a Christian is I want to know if she's going to be discerning this. She has the right to discern what I'm about to say. And I just wanted to know where she was spiritually. And I said something like, the Lord knows that you're facing a really big decision And he is telling you, you don't need to be afraid. It's okay to go ahead and make that decision. Something like that. I can't remember the exact words. Well, as soon as I said what I said, a wave of happiness and relief and openness washed over her. You could see that that word really, really touched her. And this from a stranger she'd never met. I didn't know anything about her circumstances at all. And she explained to us that she was uh, newly wed and that they were thinking about buying a house. And they just weren't sure if they should make that commitment or not. And as soon as I said what I said, she knew that it was from the Lord and she knew that it applied to this big life decision not to be afraid. It's okay to go ahead and make that decision. If you want to walk in the prophetic gift, try to walk in it constantly, regularly. It's really a wonderful thing. And often I'll say to people, hey, I think the Lord gave me something to say to you, or I submit this for your discernment, something like that. Not trying to be overbearing, 
because whatever I share, it really is up to them to discern and receive whether it's from the Lord or not. Well, I've been talking about the positive aspects of how we walk in this gift, but what about the other side of it? If somebody says something to me, first thing is we need to test the prophet. If this person is a person who gives people what they want to hear, or if he's getting messages from other people and then communicating them as if he is the source of them, we need to be very cautious about that. If it is a person who is seeking status or attention or power or money, we need to be very, very careful about that. Like I've said, I've run across false prophets. I've seen false prophets on television making lots of money, and I want to be very, very cautious about people whose motivation seems to be selfish. I need to be very, very careful if that person is clearly seeking attention or money or power. Now, if it's somebody who is shy and unassuming, uh, somebody who helps others in very simple, unseen ways, if it's someone who doesn't draw attention to himself or herself, then I might be more inclined to listen to that person. That said, it's quite possible that God would say something true through a person who has wrong motives. God can use rocks to proclaim his glory. He can use a donkey to speak his word. Just because someone is driven by wrong motives doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying isn't true. I think I'll tell a story about this now. Now we've come to it. The first time I ran into the language barrier, I was on my first mission trip to Honduras. And as I went up to passport control with my passport to be allowed into the country, the border guard asked me some questions in Spanish. And I did not know any Spanish at the time. I know very little now. And I was shocked by the fact that he had just spoken to me and I had no idea what he was saying. It really hadn't happened to me before. And, of course, he's a man in authority, and so I'm a little nervous and scared about this. And then he saw that I didn't understand him, and he waved me on through. But after that, I thought about that situation where he spoke to me, and I had no idea what he was saying. Absolutely no idea how to respond. However, if someone had told me how to mouth the words just to say these syllables... Como estas? If I had just said that when I walked up to this passport control officer, he would have understood what I said. Como estas? How are you? I wouldn't have known what I was saying. I would have just been mouthing syllables that somebody else gave me to say. But it would carry meaning for the person who understood that language. And this is why I think Paul can say that there were preachers who were preaching for wrong motives, but Paul was still glad that they were preaching. That always confused me. It always made me wonder, why is it that Paul would say these other preachers are preaching to make money or to build up names for themselves or even to tear Paul down, and yet he was glad that they were preaching? And I think it's tied into this understanding of language. Somebody can say, with completely wrong motives, something that is true, and the listener, the person who is hearing and seeking the Lord, will understand, oh, that's God's language. And in their spirit, there'll be an understanding, a communication from God to that heart. 
And the person who's mouthing the syllables may not understand it at all. And yet it carries power because it is truth from God. So we need to test the prophets. And if somebody is claiming to be a prophet and yet they don't have a correct character, we need to be very cautious. So that's testing the prophet. We also need to test the prophecy. What does that person say? And the first fundamental test is Scripture. That is the most important test, Scripture. A prophetic word that comes from God will never, never contradict the Scripture. If someone were to say, The Lord told me that you must leave your wife and marry someone else, then that is a false prophecy. God hates divorce. God is not going to say, leave your wife and go marry someone else. I've heard, actually, of false prophets telling people that. This is what the Lord says. If you want to walk in the blessings that God has for you, you need to leave your husband and your children and go marry another man. Well, that's a, that's a false prophecy because it's contrary to God's expressed will in Scripture. True prophecy will always reinforce Scripture. Sometimes it'll repeat Scripture. Actually, pretty often, in my case, I'll have a Scripture for someone. And prophecy will often apply Scripture. There's this Scripture, and here's how it applies to your life. Another way to test a prophetic word is, if it contains a prediction, does that prediction come to pass? That's a good test of someone who claims to be a prophet and they say something and if they predict uh, some future event and it doesn't happen, well, then we need to be in judgment over that. My goodness, I have several examples of people who said very specific predictions while claiming to speak prophetically and those things did not come to pass. Another test of the prophetic word is if the prophet is in control of himself. If the prophet is out of control, then it's clearly not of the Lord because the scriptures very clearly say that our God is a God of peace. He's not a God of disorder, that prophets are in control of themselves. Now, someone with a prophetic gift may get excited or emotional, but they shouldn't be in a mystical trance. Like I've heard of New Agers who are channeling other spirits. No, Prophets are in control of themselves. Now, interestingly, if we're testing the prophecy, testing the prophet, signs and wonders are no help at all. (laughs) If someone claims to be a prophet and they do signs and wonders to prove that they are what they say they are, that doesn't help. Why? Well, Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. He said that false prophets can produce miracles. And here's what Jesus said about it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible, end quote. When I brought this message to a church in Congo, it was greeted with cheering and happiness. Because there are these false prophets who claim to speak for the living God and who produce signs and wonders. But what they say is not in line with the scripture and it is not in line with the revealed character of God. They are leading people astray 
and they show signs and wonders. And when I said this, if a man comes through that door and claims to be a prophet and does signs and wonders, you still have to judge that man. You have to judge that prophecy. You have to weigh carefully what he says. It does not matter if he's doing signs and wonders and miraculous things. And the church cheered. They were so happy. It was such a relief (laughs) to know that we, as followers of Jesus, we have the right and the responsibility to judge those things. It is true that one can do wrong things with God's gifts. We may not want it to be the case, but it is the case that people can handle God's gifts incorrectly, in wrong ways. And that's why a big chunk of 1 Corinthians is written. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 are written by Paul to avoid the wrong way to use these gifts. He was writing to instruct the church how to use these gifts rightly and helpfully for building up the body of Christ. So we have to keep that in mind. Also, something that I've said several times recently in conversation is, it's very easy to start well and end badly. The history of the church, a lot of people that I know, honestly, started in ministry really well with a pure heart, really wanting to walk in the ways of God, but over time were corrupted by power or money or selfishness or acclaim, and they ended badly. Still gifted people, but using those gifts in wrong ways. We have to be careful about that. I am no better than any of these other people who have fallen. The Bible says we have to finish the race. We have to run all the way through to the end. So these gifts are given to help people, to build up the body of Christ. And if we refuse them, then it's like not taking that chocolate bar that I mentioned earlier. God has a gift for you. Receive it. Ask him. Eagerly desire it. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. If what I'm sharing with you is moving in your heart, then very humbly just ask the Lord to teach you and to give you whatever gifts that he wants you to have and then to give you the grace and the boldness, the willingness to put them into practice. One thing I did, I think I might have read this somewhere when I was beginning to desire this prophetic gift. If I was in a prayer meeting, I would pray, Lord, do you have anything for me to share with this group? And if it is your voice speaking, would you please also give that to someone else in the group and prompt them to say it? And that way it can affirm if what I'm sensing is you or if it's just my emotions or my thoughts. And for me, that was a way of discerning what is the spiritual voice of God as opposed to my own thoughts, my own emotions. And so that helped me a lot. There were several times when I was in meetings, I would pray that prayer, and then somebody would say what I sensed on my heart. And I'd say, okay, now I understand a little better what it is to have spiritual discernment, to hear the voice of the Lord, the indwelling spirit, as opposed to my own thinking or my own emotional response. That's why some prophetic words are very powerful because they can come from someone who doesn't know anything at all about my circumstance and they say something that is exactly for me and I know that that is of the Spirit. It's not them 
trying to respond emotionally or out of some sense of obligation. I think I'd like to tell another story. This is not about myself, and it's about a different gift, but it's related. The word of knowledge. We had a mission team visiting Russia quite a few years ago, and a friend of ours in Russia, Olga, not my wife, but another Olga, was praying for one of the team members. And at the time, Olga didn't speak English, so she was speaking in Russian and being translated as she shared with this team member. The team member was a sort of middle-aged lady who was feeling really bad. It was towards the end of the trip, and her legs were hurting, and she was having headaches. She just felt really bad, and she wanted some prayer. So Olga was praying for this lady, and she said in Russian, Olga said in Russian, I have a word for you, but it's in English. So I don't know what it means, but maybe it means something to you. And then she said in English, electrolyte imbalance. And then she said in Russian, does that mean anything to you? (laughs) Oh, that's just beautiful. Olga had no idea what those syllables meant. The Holy Spirit had given her those words, electrolyte imbalance. She had no idea what they meant. But the lady for whom she was praying knew immediately what was going on. She was dehydrated. She needed to eat a banana. God gave Olga a word of knowledge. Interestingly, though, it was a word that Olga didn't understand but she was faithful to communicate that. That's a really good example to me of how a spiritual gift is exercised. Everybody was in control of themselves. It was an intimate little prayer time. You had Olga, who was praying and willing to share whatever God said, and she did faithfully. And God shared that with this other lady because God loves her and wants her to be well. And they were asking for understanding and wisdom and relief, and God gave it miraculously, clearly miraculously. Maybe sometime in the future I'll do a, another podcast with some other people, and we'll just tell some of these stories. But as I was thinking about preparing for this podcast, this particular episode, I thought about the danger of telling too many stories because I've spoken before about how Western culture can be a spectator culture. And certainly the Christian culture in particular can become a spectator culture, where most Christians sit in a church and they hear stories, or they're at home and they read books about missionaries, and we sit at a distance and we read about what other people are doing, or we hear about the great things that God is doing, but we're just spectators. We're not participants. One of the overarching goals of this podcast, why I'm taking the time out of obedience to the Lord to speak, is to encourage you to put into practice what God is saying to you, to encourage you to do it, to live this life, this abundant life, and to take the steps necessary to enter into this abundant life, self-denial, self-abandonment, embracing of suffering, and obedience. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Self-abandonment, acceptance of suffering, and obedience. Those three things. 
So I don't want to give too many examples for fear that that might feed into the natural tendency to be spectators. And I really want you to go out and put into practice what God has put on your heart. The Lord said, if anybody hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a man who built his house on a rock. And so I want to encourage you, build your house on a rock. Be obedient to what God is saying to you. Read the scriptures, diligently search out the scriptures and put it into practice. And if anything that I'm saying touches your heart or moves within you in some way that is obviously not of your own emotions or your own thought, it is clearly of the Lord speaking to you. I encourage you, start walking in it. Ask him to guide you in it. Well, through the magic of editing, you did not hear the long pause that I just took because where I am recording is not totally silent and an airplane flew overhead. So I had to sit quietly while the airplane went by before I picked up on my thoughts here. And as I was sitting here, I prayed the prayer, Lord, is there anything else you want me to share? And the scripture came to mind. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I really want to emphasize that then, because I think it is something God wants you to hear, particularly in the context of spiritual gifts, and especially this gift of prophecy. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We do not want to be opposed by God. He will overwhelm us if we are proud. We will never stand up under that. But he gives grace to the humble. He's not impartial to the humble. He gives grace. He gives the gift of grace. And grace is defined in many different ways, but one that I like is that it's the power to do his will. There's a power in grace. And he gives grace to the humble. So as we consider all of these things, spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy, all of this, we really need to embrace humility and be humble before the Lord and receptive. If gifts are received, then they must be used in love. And if these gifts are not used in love, then they will be abused. And whenever love is absent, everything goes wrong. There is terrible fruit when love is not present. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. Even chapter 13, which is about love, Paul is very careful and very purposeful when talking about spiritual gifts to emphasize love. Where gifts and love go together, there the body of Christ is built up. When gifts and love go together, churches stop being focused on one man. God does not give all of his gifts to one man. He gives gifts to anyone who will receive them. When gifts and love go together, the church is really encouraged and is strong because it's doing what the Lord wants his body to do. But we must remember, all of these gifts will pass away. But these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So, 
my friends, until next time, may the Lord continue to reveal to you his will and his ways. And as we walk in his ways, we will find rest for our souls. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.